All right, so we've been doing this sort of a year of the Bible thing, right? Where we're navigating through this in a year. And, and um, last week I talked about working and not waiting. I was like, it will be better. It will be better if God found you working. So I talked about that last week and, and like the things we should be doing instead of just sitting around that God wants us doing some things. And so as I was thinking about that I started to write again this week and read again this week, but this week I want to kind of continue this conversation on working while we wait. Because we believe that Christ has died, right? And because he died, death has been defeated. We believe that Christ rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, I am empowered to live differently. He is alive in me. And we believe that Christ is coming back again one day. And between this day and that day, we have work to do to prepare the world for his return. So we are working, not just waiting. But God showed me some, some things in my thinking that I, that I didn't cover last week that may kind of surprise you as we talk about what it means to work. So I have been a pastor now, I think about 11 years. I think Grace is about 12 years old, which means I've been here about 11 years uh, after we, we had to come in and trim some folks that were holding us back. And after Jeff left, it really, really took off, <clears throat> went another direction. But So I've been here for like 11 years. And so when I, first, when I first became a pastor, when I first answered the call to do this with my life, I had just gone through a divorce, right? Which seems like the ideal time to become a pastor. <laughs> I'd just gone through a divorce. Uh, I came, I worked for an advertising agency. I flew twice a month. I mean, uh, busy action. There was always things in my job. I was always doing something. I was always with people, you know, partying or whatever. And so my life was centered around busyness and action and activity and all these things. And so I've, I've gone through a divorce and my brother calls me and cons me. I mean, excuse me, God persuaded my heart to become a pastor. And so I moved to Sardis, which is not the heart of busy in action, really. I mean, so that's the first thing. So I've left all this world that I know, busy in action, and now I'm in Sardis. And my brother Jeff, in his infinite wisdom, decides that in my first weekend of being a pastor, before I really engage in this life, what we need to do is go away together to a monastery where there is no talking because they've taken vows of silence. And all they do all day is study the Bible and pray. And it was in, it was in Missouri. It's Arkansas-Missouri border. And so Jeff talks to me, and he says, we're going to go away for 48 hours. And we're just going to contemplate the glory of God. And I was like, Jeff, I have got work to do, man. I mean, I've got a race to run. I've got to fight. I don't have time to go sit around for 48 hours with people who are just praying and reading about God. Don't you understand? I've got work to do. I don't have time for that. And so he was like, no, come on, man. It's going to be good. So we get there, and uh, we, we, we arrive, and we, you know, we turn ourselves in or whatever. And when I, when, I, when I first get there, my anxiety immediately begins to creep up because this place is quiet. I mean, it's in the middle of the woods anyway, and nobody's talking. You know, I walk in, morning, y'all. They're like, no, I mean, I mean nobody's talking there. And so I get there, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'll just play on myself. No cell phone signal. There's no cell phone signal. So now I'm in a quiet place where no one's talking, and I have no cell phone signal. I can't even call someone who's not in said quiet place to have a conversation. 
So I'm like, there's got to be Wi-Fi. So I find the Wi-Fi. It's terrible. Like I can't even, so it's worse than our Wi-Fi here. I have no Wi-Fi, no cell phone signal, and nobody's talking. And so like I was sitting in my cell, and I wish Jeff was here to tell this story, or my room. I wish Jeff was here to tell this story. Because he, 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 so I'm sitting in my cell, and I guess Jeff got some rec time out in the yard or whatever, because he's out there walking around, and it was cold. And when it's cold, and some, you know how the window fogs up on the inside and you can write in it? Jeff says, and mom, Jeff says he's walking around out in the rec yard, and he looks up, and he sees my little cell and my window, and there's some words written in it. And I have written, help me. couldn't handle it. (laughs) 48 hours alone with God. That was what I was required to do, what I was asked to do. I couldn't handle it. I had work to do. I had things to do. I didn't have time to sit alone with God for 48 hours when there was a group of people who needed me. I needed to go. So I was supposed to be there for 48 hours. You know how long I made it? 22 hours. Truth. 22 hours. And Jeff says, all right, man, let's get you out of here. You can't handle this. And so I was thinking about that this week and thinking about how afraid of silence I am, about how much I fear just being alone with God. And I begin to think, man, I must be missing out on something. Something is missing. There was a a building full of men praying and and reading the Bible, but I had to go to work. And then I read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9 here. And in in this book, um, Timothy is a young pastor, and Paul is like his uh, his Jedi trainer, and like Timothy would be like the Padawan or whatever, and so, or like the mentor and the apprentice. That might be more language that more people would recognize. So Paul has put Timothy in charge of this church, and um. Paul is writing Timothy a letter here in the, in the book of the Bible called Timothy. And he's writing him a letter about how to lead the church and what to do. And so in 6.9 it says this, but, excuse me, 6.6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge into ruin and destruction. So Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, man, godliness with contentment, that is great gain. He says, everything you need in this world, you came into the world with it. And everything you need, you're going to leave. And he said, we didn't come in this world with clothes or food or stuff. and We're not going to leave with it. God has given you every single thing you need. And you should be content in that and that alone. And this was Paul's life. And Paul is now trying to take Timothy to the place where he is completely content in just Christ, in just God. But he says, be careful. Because for those people who pursue wealth, for those people who want to get rich, They fall in the temptation and a trap. Paul is writing here about money, but I think this can apply to so many different things. Like, what's really the race you're running? What's really the fight you're fighting? Where are you really trying to find your contentment? Because if we're not finding it in God alone, if we're trying to gain contentment and identity and value from something else, then 
you're going to fall into traps. It doesn't matter what race you're running. I mean, maybe you're trying to find your contentment and your identity in, in being, you know, the super parent. And so you've got your kids signed up for every single thing. They're taking piano. They're taking jazz. They're taking harmonica. They take a xylophone on Tuesdays. They play soccer and football and basketball and rugby and hockey. And you're at every single event. And you're so busy because your entire world revolves around this little thing and, and teaching it that you're super parent. And that's where you're trying to find your contentment, your identity. Or maybe, maybe you feel guilty about something you did at some point in life. And so every day is a race to try to earn the favor or make things right. You're trying to find your contentment, your identity in that. Or maybe someone told you when you were young, you'll never amount to anything. And so everything you do is to prove them wrong. And, and I'm going to show them. And, and that's where you're trying to find your contentment, your identity. Or maybe it is money. Maybe you feel like if I just had more, if I just had enough, if I could just give my family more, then, then I'll be something. And so every day is this race to, to try to find financial peace and security. And you're going all these things and you're running this race and you're fighting this fight. And what you're never finding is contentment. Even, even when you gain the thing you thought you wanted, you still lost the war. You're like, man, I'm no closer to being content than I was before. And when we pursue these things as the source of our identity and our value and our contentment. He says we will fall into traps, some temptations. And this is personal for me. Um, this is personal for me this week because like, I am becoming aware of some things in my life that other people were probably aware of, but I was not. Uh, like I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of how I have determined my value for so many years by how quick I could respond to someone who needs me. And so the, the, the symptom of this is a phone that's never off, that's always with me, that, that, that I, can't, I can't get rid of. Because when I was in advertising, I mean, I got clients and I got business because I would respond. I was there. And when I first started at this church, I would respond and I was there. And so I've almost become addicted to this. And I was meeting with my counselor, I guess it was last Friday. Yes, I go to a counselor, a therapist, I call, you call them whatever you want. I'm not embarrassed of it. It doesn't bother me in the least. I will go whenever I need it. I recommend you do the same thing. And I was talking to him and he said, Tommy, you can't keep going like this. You can't be the husband you're designed to be or the father you're designed to be or the pastor you're designed to be if you don't learn how to step away and relax and Sabbath and turn the world off. He said, you, you don't get it. He said, you will burn out if you keep going like this. You can't survive like this forever. And I don't know whether it was arrogance on my part, thinking how much you need me or, or insecurity. Maybe I was worried if you needed me and I wasn't there, you'd find somebody else and then you wouldn't need me anymore. I mean, I don't know what it is. But something has kept me captive to this. And what I realized was my identity my identity and who I am in God has become really, really wrapped up in my identity and who I am in this place and my ability to serve and please you. And God's going, there's more. What about just me and you? And I started to think of that picture of a husband and wife who, who've taken no time to get to know each other. And when the kids leave the house, they look at each other and go, who are you? Who are you? I don't want to get to heaven and have the first, you know, one million years of my eternity being awkward because I don't really know the God I claim to serve. 
And so I'm realizing that I've fallen into some traps that maybe you'll connect with too. One of the traps I fall into when I'm not connected to God, when I'm not spending that time with him, it's either I end up fighting the wrong fight altogether, like I'm running a race and fighting a fight, but it's not really the one I was supposed to fight, or I'm fighting the right fight, but I'm fighting it completely wrong. And these are the traps I fall into. Listen, 1 Timothy 1.18, this is good. So Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Hold on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. So what Paul is saying is, Timothy, I need you to fight this good fight. And the fight for Timothy, and if you read the rest of this book, what you'll see is there are some people in in Timothy's church that need to be corrected. They need to be rebuked. They need to be encouraged. And so his, his calling, his fight, his, his race is to deal with these people. And so Paul writes him and says, Timothy, I want you to fight that good fight. I want you to deal with what you need to deal with. I want you to handle the business you need to handle. Keep the good faith because they're getting confused with the proper teaching. So go handle this situation. And if someone said that to me, you know what the first thing I would do is, if I'm honest, I would begin to think, how can I control this situation? What can I do to, to, to manipulate, to control, to change, uh, to win? What can I, I would begin to think, how, how in my power can I go fix this problem that has been presented to me? Because that's, that's what we do. And so I would probably have a staff meeting or write a sermon or do something that was some sort of movement. And then I see this in 1 Timothy 2.1. This is right after that. Listen to what Paul says to him. I urge you then, first of all. Do y'all know what first of all means, by the way? It means before, right? Before you do anything else. If I tell you, first of all, wash your hands, then eat dinner, would you think you're supposed to eat dinner first or wash your hands? Bingo, bingo. He says, I urge you then... First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of truth. So Timothy has this assignment, and he's fixing to go do it. And Paul says, no, first of all, I want you to pray. I read that and I was like, I've always said, and I've probably preached it errantly, pray, then get up off your knees and go to work. What Paul is saying is, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't pray, then work. Prayer is the first part of your work. Prayer is your work. Before you do anything else, you get with God. And if you think you're working and you haven't talked to God about what you're working on, then you're not really working in the power of God. And if I'm working with people and I'm not even praying for you and I'm, I'm having a conversation with you, and I have a, then I am stepping out of my lane and I'm operating in my power, not his power. It's, no, it's not pray then work. It's prayer is your work. Those monks... In that monastery, they're working all day by praying and studying scripture. They're on the front lines of a battle. But we, we don't have time for it because we're too busy to actually spend time with God 
talking to God about his will. You know why we don't ask, why we don't, maybe not you, just the people at the other church. You know why the people at the church over there don't really talk to God about their plans? Because they don't want God to change their plans. Isn't that true? That's why we don't spend, oh, God, listen, I'm, I'm bringing this before you. You know, I got this, this bonus. I got this thing. I got this person. I got this problem. And God, before I do anything, like the first part of my work, I will give as much effort to just sitting along with you. And I'm bringing this to you because the last thing I want God to do is say, here's what I want you to do. No, no, you don't understand. I just wanted you to affirm me. I, you didn't hear the part, God, where I told you what I wanted to do. And he's like, no, I heard you. I hear you every day. If, if you're constantly, you know, you just kind of pray these prayers and God is affirming every single thing you want to do, then you're talking to yourself. Because a good, good father does not affirm every choice the child makes. And so sometimes God's going to say no. But that happens when we lay our plans and people and everything we've got at the feet of God and we just sit there. And I'm not talking about passive prayer. I'm not saying that's bad. I, you know, you, when your son goes up to bat, God, please let him get a hit. That's good. Or you're driving and you say a 30-second prayer. Too much of our prayer is passive and half-hearted. And I have come to believe that passive, half-hearted prayer has about as much effect in my relationship with God as passive, half-hearted conversations have in my relationship with my wife. Passive and half-hearted don't build chemistry and passion and intimacy in a relationship. They build distance. God, here, here's, here's four seconds of my time because I really don't have time to carve off to just be alone with you. You forgot how busy I am. God's like, what? Listen to what, this is cool, Luke 5. Luke 5, this is, he's talking about Jesus and he says, Yet the news about him spread all the more. So that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. And then listen to what it says. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. The busiest God-man the world would ever know. <laughs> the only. And he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I don't know that your dinner table is lonely enough. And if that's the only place you're praying, I think you're missing out. This room isn't lonely. There's a bunch of y'all in here. It's not lonely at all. If this is the only place that prayer is a part of your life, then I don't think you're really experiencing the power prayer was designed to bring to your life. There's more. He said, like, he got alone. Jesus Christ. Hold on, let me get this straight. Jesus Christ, God himself, as he was doing these Three years of ministry where time was short, where he could heal anybody he wanted, where he could bring life, where he could feed anybody, any place, anytime. He had all these amazing things he could do. There was people who just wanted to hold his cloak because just to touch him would heal them. And he knew his time was short. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was only here for a while. And he was surrounded by poverty and, and death and pain. And he would leave everything and go get alone with himself with God, he would go get alone with the Father and pray. And Jesus needed that, and Paul needed that, and Timothy needed that. Why don't we believe we need that? It's not a time issue. It's really not a time issue because you have time to do all sorts of other things. We have time. It's not an ability issue. 
Listen, it's not, the, the, the power, prayer is not about your ability to pray. Prayer is about the posture of your heart when you step in front of the Father. It's not an ability issue. You have the ability to humble yourself in front of a king. It's not a, it's not a time and it's not an ability. It's a faith issue because if we believed he was who he said he was, we'd want to spend more time alone with him. And so we fall into these traps when we're not connected you know the other trap I personally fall into when, I, when I'm not super connected with God is the comparison trap. I begin to compare my ministry to someone else's ministry. Or I compare you know, my, my real marriage to your Facebook marriage. <laughs> Our real kids to your Facebook kids. right? Our real situations to your Facebook situations. We begin to compare things. We say, well, we should be doing more. Or we should be doing less. Or why don't we have this or whatever? Or I begin to look at the church down the road and compare and say, well, we've got more, blah, 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 we've got less. And when I compare, there's only two things that ever happen. I end up feeling superior or I end up feeling inferior. I never feel tied because, listen, Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you're last. You're either winning or losing. It's just the way I roll. I never feel tied. All right? I only feel superior in a race I was never supposed to run or inferior in a battle I was never really designed to fight. When I'm not connected with God, I compare, I fight the wrong battles, and I fight the right battles in the absolute wrong way. Our work must start with restful, alone, recharging time with God. And this is not preparation for what you do or some throwaway. This is what you do. And I'm just starting to learn this. God doesn't want your activity. He wants your heart. 1 Timothy 6, 11, it says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Like, flee from all the busy. Flee from all the junk in the world you're caught up with. Flee from thinking you can't get away. Flee from, from your schedule and, and flee from overbooking your life. He said, run from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight and take hold of eternal life, which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And the only way I can pursue the things of God are when I am in the presence of God. We've gotten so confused with activity. Like, I'm doing all these things. God's like, great. I didn't need you for that. Here's what I want. Sit with me and let me empower you so that when you do those things, you're doing them in my power. I don't need you out doing things in your power. That means nothing. If every message I preach is my power, there will never be a life changed in this room. I have no power to change lives. And God doesn't want to change my schedule. He wants to change my heart. He's like, dude, just get along with me. You don't have time? I didn't have 48 hours to pray and read scripture because I had work to do. I repent and I can do better. I repent and I can do better than that. Why do we think we're so busy? And why are you right now? You, and I'm not, I got my eyes shut, so I'm looking at everybody. Why do you think you are the only one whose schedule really won't allow what I'm talking about to happen? You're sitting there going, oh, get alone with God. I just don't have time with that. You don't have time not to do that. None of us do. If we believe he is who he says he is, if we believe that he is the source of all power, why don't we carve off time in our lives to spend with him alone? Listen, I, um, I'm going to sit down because I'm tired of walking. I, uh, 
I was talking to my, uh, I was at my counselor the other day, like I told you about, and, and um, one of the things he told me to do was, he said, I want you to write a job description. And he said, I want you to write a job description where prayer and time alone with God truly becomes the center of what you do. He said, I want you to write a job description that actually allows you to be the husband you were designed to be and the father you were designed to be and the pastor you were designed to be. And uh, so I was writing this message and I started going through sort of my time allocation of how I spend my time. And as I was going through my time allocation of how I spend my time, I uh, had about 72 random thoughts. (laughs) Something shiny came by. I went after that. (laughs) Then I listened to a song. Uh, then I read a scripture, and then, you know, I, I, I think I text somebody. I checked Facebook four times and Instagram once, <laughs> Yahoo Finance. I don't even know if I got stock. I'm just checking Yahoo Finance. I don't know. <laughs> no idea what I'm just Anything other than just to sit quiet with God. I repent. Like, we're so scared of silence. It's awkward, isn't it? Watch. It's awkward, right? (laughs) That was like three seconds. I'm going to create a schedule that's more about me battling on my knees for you than it is about me returning every text and every phone call. I'm going to create a schedule for me where my Friday is for me, and I don't break it no matter what. I don't answer or return any calls. And if you're thinking you can't come up with some way to schedule your life in the same way, then your life is currently scheduled wrong. I am going to create space to be the husband I was designed to be, to be the father I was designed to be, and to be the pastor I was designed to be. Because if I burn out, it's because I relied too much on my own fire. 